Hi there everyone, welcome to the uh, first in our podcast series and today we're going to be looking at employee benefits um, and it's a pleasure to be joined today by Steve Herbert. Steve is the Head of Benefits Strategy at Howden Employee Benefits and Wellbeing and Steve is a thought leader on all things pension and employee benefit issues. He's an article writer, prolific blog contributor, he responds to every industry consultation paper that I've seen. Um, he's an industry award judge, and I've had the pleasure of speaking with Steve on various um, seminar events, which Steve's organized and spoken at, and very much he is the industry expert. So welcome, Steve. Thank you, you, you forgot all around know it all, but uh, thank you anyway. Well, I was going to include Dr. Who fan as well, but I thought that may just, that may be a little bit specialist. <laughs> indeed it is, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, how, how are you finding lockdown? Well, in, in many respects, not a huge difference for me because actually I'm a home worker anyway and always have been, well, I always have been for at least 15 years. Um, the thing that I'm really struggling with, if I'm honest, is not lockdown, it's actually technology. Um, we've, we've got the technology to work, but actually using it for webinars and the like I do struggle with. Uh, I just find it's not the sort of format I like working in. And although I'm getting some very good feedback about it, it's not actually where I want to be. I want to get back to real events, but I don't see that for uh, any time, well, a few months at least, I would think. Yeah, I did see in our calendar, we were supposed to be speaking at a seminar tomorrow in London. We were, yes. The 12th, but I guess that's not happening. No, it's the same one that we were going to speak about in March, and that got cancelled for the same reason. Um, uh, I think it's really been re for September, but I can't see that happening in That's, the traditional format, at least. Yeah, we may have to struggle with technology some more, I think, for that to do some webinars. I think, you know, I've, I've had a similar experience, Steve. I think um, I probably haven't been as used to working from home, perhaps, as you, so it's been a bit more of a challenge for me to get my head around it. But technology certainly has been an issue. I think if everyone could just pick one form of webinar or video call rather than, you know, Team Zoom, whatever, whatever Webex, whatever alternative. There are so many of them all of a sudden, but uh, it does seem to be a bit of a challenge. So, have you have you got any other tips for for people who are, who are perhaps not as used to working from home as as you do? What do you do in terms of breaks, Steve? Well, ordinarily, if I'm honest, if, if we ignore lockdown, if because lockdown obviously was quirky in so much as you were you were only meant to go out once a day anyway for any exercise. But ordinarily, I would encourage people to take two or three breaks during the course of the day uh, and actually, if possible, get out, even if it's raining or cold or horrible. It's just better to get away from the screen because otherwise you do end up just completely absorbed with the screen. It's bad for your eyes, it's bad for your health, it's bad for your thinking. So generally, getting away from a screen is what I'd advise. Uh, during lockdown, of course, that wasn't really possible. Um, so I ended up doing many more hours on the screen than I should have, as did most people, I suspect. Uh, but now we're back to some sort of normality. We can at least move away, and that's what I would suggest is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's going to be the challenge for a lot of us, actually, is, is just building those breaks in. Because I think that, I know you and I have spoken before about this kind of always-on culture um, that's kind of developed in the working environment. And I think that's just been increased during lockdown, that people have been starting work earlier from home, they've been finishing later. Um, I've spoken to clients where we've not even been sure what day it is sometimes. Um, so I think those are going to be the, be, be the challenges. But it's, you know, I think, I think as we, we get 
more prolonged into the into the working from home, I think it'll get a bit easier. But I think businesses will have to think a bit more carefully about those long-term arrangements, um, health and safety risk assessments, those sort of things that perhaps everyone ignored initially in the rush to work from home. Um, have you been getting any point, or have you been getting many requests around that? No, not at the moment. And I think that's due to the fact that it was all was done in quite a rush, really. Almost it was Boris announced we were closing and then everyone kind of disappeared off. Um, and I suspect as we go on, I'm talking more and more to clients about actually reviewing those working arrangements, making sure the appropriate support is in place, the appropriate technology is in place as well for, for individuals. You know, you're not just working off a laptop on your kitchen table for eight hours a day for five days a week. Yeah, that's, and to be fair, that's not an area I've thought about, but you're quite right. Uh, and I haven't seen much in the way of comments from the employment law sector to everybody else. Yeah. That particular aspect, presumably, because everyone's focusing on the prospect of redundancies and the like. But yeah. nevertheless, I think that this is, has been and will be a, a sea change for British business. There's no question. More people yeah. will end up working at home. And that's certainly something that we probably need to have a bit of a chat about down the line. Yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think how those arrangements develop will be really interesting to see. Um, and so in terms of, of the current lockdown, the current financial impact of the lockdown, what are you seeing? Are you seeing employers rush to reduce pension contributions or remove benefits to, as a cost-saving measure at the moment? No is the short answer, but there is obviously a longer answer to that, which is I think we would have had it not been for the introduction, albeit in a slightly sort of clunky fashion, of the coronavirus job retention scheme. And I think what the result of that has been that employers have taken a lot longer, taken a breath, if you like, before making the employment decisions that they are clearly, in many cases, going to have to make. In terms of pensions and benefits, Yes, there are obviously costs involved there, and they can be, certainly in terms of pension contributions, can be quite significant costs. But in the great scheme of payroll, they're not that big. So I think at the moment, we haven't seen much of an impact there. Where I think there will be an impact is certainly anecdotally, and I don't want to give away any conversations I've had with uh, clients and prospects that I've known for years, but there seems to be, regardless of sector, an awful lot of employers that are looking at around now as the time to announce redundancies so that those redundancies happen before the end of the job retention scheme. So if there is going to be a fall away, it'll be after that in terms of benefit costs. But I think the employment cost is the bigger concern for everybody at the moment and who's going to be left standing at the end of this process. Yeah, I think that reflects what I'm seeing amongst clients and the conversations that I'm having with, with others as well is that I think the pinch point is going to be from August onwards soon as employees having to start to contribute more to the job retention scheme than they are at the moment. And um, I suspect we'll start seeing employers really thinking hard as to whether that's something they can afford to continue with. And um, I think there's, I have seen some discussion around the fact that you shouldn't be making redundancies during furlough because it's a nil cost to the employer. But it's not quite a nil cost because you've still got holiday accrual, and those sort of things. But I, I, I do get the feeling that for some employers, they furloughed their, their employees, or the vast majority of them, they kind of almost forgotten about them. Um, yeah. And I just think they need to start revisiting plans for what it's going to look like when they start opening up. Um, and I think it's going to be very different for most businesses in terms of the numbers that they need. 
um, and we're already starting to see that, that shift from discussions around furlough to discussions around redundancy and also changing terms and conditions of employment and um, really topical at the moment with BA in particular and um, well, apart from making large number of redundancies are effectively changing terms and conditions by if they don't get their agreement they'll give notice with an offer of re-engagement on new terms and I did see that described today as blackmail by some employee representatives but it's I always describe it as the nuclear option for changing terms so I think in terms of benefits whilst there's always been a reluctance I think to change benefits when they're contractual I think employers are starting to look at mechanisms by which they could achieve that so I think you're right we may see it further down the line yeah I think the VA one I mean in, in fairness to VA they seem to be taking an awful lot I think it, it does it's a completely unusual situation certainly nothing I've ever seen or probably you have seen really where we are now and it does give the employer a lot more latitude to make wholesale changes that ordinarily would be unthinkable frankly in terms of employer employee relationships so it'll be interesting to see what happens but i i don't really perceive in terms of benefit space the actual benefits reducing much in actual fact i suspect conversely the benefits may get more actually once redundancies are out of the way uh, as employers try and strive to actually sort of re-engage with their workforces and make things uh, better and paper over some of the cracks that have been shown over the last few months but i've so seen it as so, so seeing it as that retention and engagement tool yeah i think so in fact i'm having a surprising number of conversations with corporates now who are actively saying to me we can't do anything now steve but come back to us in october so okay that they they know they've got to look after their staff obviously they there's priorities they're spending limits and whatever but they're, they're making that sort of move now to say we're going to go there just not yet so that probably leads us on to lots of articles out there about what the economic outlook is and um, what what do you what do you see the jobs and economic outlook as being going forward in the next few months hideous <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't yeah there's no point in trying to talk it up is there let's be honest uh this is a uh, literally a once in a century situation we always said that about the financial crisis but the financial crisis relative to this is peanuts uh, the, the amount of money we're talking about relative to this is probably peanuts so i think that the big plus in terms of how we as a nation managed the financial crisis was jobs weren't lost very much i mean yes of course unemployment went up it went up from about two three percent up to four or five percent but overall it didn't go up that much whereas if you look back to the 1980s recession which is when i started work 1980s recession it was routinely over 10 percent the unemployment rate and of course that had a massive drag on the economy this time there is no way we're going to avoid a massive drag on the economy in terms of unemployment it's just inevitable from where we are now and when you look at the figures that came out you may have seen yesterday from the oecd uh they predicted of, of all the economies actually i think we were, we were the one that was going to lose the most they were and it is a projection so you know but let's be fair it may not be right but they were projecting 11 and a half percent down in 2020 which is just unthinkable amount it's off the scale frankly yeah um so i think with unemployment up as high as it is and gdp down as low as it invariably will be it's going to be tough um is it recession is it depression well to borrow from harry truman uh, it's a recession when your neighbor loses his job it's a depression when you lose yours 
And I think that's probably all you can really say about it. It's going to be bad, but life goes on. And I think that's the thing you need to hang on to in a situation like this. If we have 10% unemployment, of course, that's bad. But if you flip it on its head, nine in 10 people are still in work. The majority goes on. It's just going to feel pretty rough for some time to come, probably years. Yeah, I think that reflects what I'm seeing out there at the moment. I, you know, and the, the publicity that set me on redundancies that we're seeing in the press is all around the large scale redundancies. Um, and those, those are going to hurt, but it's the ones where you're not into collective consultation. So perhaps you've got less than 20 employees at risk of redundancy because you're a small employer, but it doesn't take many of those to, when you start adding them up before you start getting some serious numbers. And I think, um, yeah, I've, I've seen it described in various ways, you know, car crash is one of them. Um, and I do think that for some businesses, the job retention scheme, whilst it's been really useful, um, I think what was achieved with it was quite remarkable um, yeah. in such a short space of time. But actually, are we just prolonging an inevitable, you know, slide towards redundancy um, for some for some businesses? And I think that's likely to be the case. Um, and also, we've got the cost of paying for those schemes. You know, the, even if you take the, the most optimistic uh, projection at the moment, the job retention schemes cost them going to cost them sixty billion. Um, when I say it's going to cost them, it's going to cost us as the taxpayer sixty billion. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting point, which uh, I had a bit of a dispute with one of my colleagues about recently. I wrote an article saying that you know whether you, whether your own personal salary has dropped as a result of the crisis, whether your household salary has dropped as a result of the crisis, the reality is that all of our salaries will drop because we're going to have to pay this back somehow. There is going to be an increase in tax. We just don't know when it is and how that's going to be functioned and built. It could be in direct PAYE and national insurance. It could be through council taxes, whatever. But there's this whacking great bill that we as a nation are going to have to repay as well. Uh, so everyone, to a degree, is going to suffer, even people that keep their jobs, keep their salaries and, and go on as normal. There will be a payback to come because it, it just can't be avoided with this sort of debt. No, I, I, I think we're going to... I, I, you know, I can't see many green shoots in there. I know some businesses that you know, we're hearing reports that they're, they've got the cash available and they're looking to do deals in terms of acquisitions. Um, we're generally not seeing a, a huge amount of that, I think, at the moment. Um, I, I, so I think certainly the next six to 12 months, I think are going to be you know, pretty brutal in terms of, of, of economic prospects. I think it will be. That said, I, I do think, I mean, genuinely, I think, um, that with the shops reopening next week, I mean, okay, socially distance and all the rest of it, and, and you could certainly argue whether we we're doing the right thing by opening the shops next week, certainly not all of them are necessary, but there is actually a massive pent-up, in my view, I'm not entirely wrong, but a massive pent-up spending demand in the economy at the moment, because whether you've had your salary go down or not, and whether you spent money or you haven't, you've borrowed or you haven't, We've all been waiting to spend money on things that we have to spend money on, and we haven't had a chance to spend money on. Uh, now, luckily for me, haircuts isn't one of them, but you know, that's going to be something for a lot of people, just spending money on hairdressers, that sort of thing. Um, but if you need socks, you need socks. It doesn't matter whether you've got an income or not, you, you've got to buy socks. So 
the reality is that I think there is going to be a big spending boost over the next few weeks, and that will actually come before you get to those redundancies we're just talking about actually budging. So when we talk about recession, you tend to, I mean, recession tends to be defined as two negative quarters of GDP growth, or the opposite of growth. But of course, actually, that may not be the case here. I mean, yes, we are going to be in recession. I mean, whether it's a technical recession doesn't matter. Of course, we're going to be in the mire. But actually, there could be a quite a lumpy line here when people have moments when they have to spend. And I think the next two or three months could well be those moments. Yeah. Uh, and people going on holiday, it looks like they won't be able to get out of the country. Or they can get out, but they can't come back. So that's going to stop people going on holiday abroad, which means all that spending potential actually stays in the country as well. So it's going to be interesting in terms of consumer spending drives our economy much more than it should do. And right now that could help us a bit. But when you get towards the end of the year again, those green shoots, I think, will just disappear again. And then we have hovering over us that horrible no trade deal with the EU situation, which bites at the end of the year, which is the very last thing we need, given where we are now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the end of the year with what happens with the Brexit talks, I think is going to be hugely influential. And, and no doubt, I think the current situation has caused many employees to suffer some financial pain. And what can employers do out there to just assist their, their staff in terms of their financial well-being? Well, as a start-off, it's obviously difficult for employers right now because, def- by definition, they haven't got any money. Uh, so actually you know, helping employees directly financially or otherwise over anything more than they would normally be doing isn't really much of a starter. But the thing we are getting quite a bit of traction with, in fact, I just came off a call before I've uh, come to this one with you, uh, is employers looking at actually offering some financial wellbeing support via webinars, which I've already said I don't like doing, but they sort of work. Um, by our videos, that sort of thing. And I'm doing quite a lot of surviving debt webinars at the moment where I'm just talking people through the basics of how you escape from debt, particularly problem debt. And it is Jack and Jim stuff. I'm not saying for a moment that there's anything particularly clever in there. But the reality is when you're in debt, you aren't thinking straight. In fact, there's evidence out there to say that debt makes you do dumb things. I mean, genuine evidence. Being in problem debt can actually reduce your IQ by up to 13 points, which is significant. Wow. And of course, that just makes the perpetuation of debt even worse. So actually, these webinars, Surviving Debt, they're very straightforward. They're done from the point of view of myself, and I've been in debt. I've been there. Uh, so I'm not trying to moralise to anyone or talk down to them. You know, I know what it's like. I've got out of it. Just trying to say, these are some things you could do. These are the ways that you can perhaps structure it to get out of debt. And they seem to be going quite well. And that, of course, is cheap as chips because it's just a, a, a webinar to pay me for, really. Um, away from that, the thing I'm trying to encourage employers to do more of at the moment, and they seem quite keen to do more of, are uh, using apps and going back to the good old basics, the sort of main phase of employee benefits. I mean, group life assurance. No one wants to talk about group life assurance because they're worried about being called an ambulance chaser at a time when we got, you know, what, whichever figure you want to use from the government now, be it 40, 45, or 60K of deaths. People are worried that if you talk about life assurance, it looks like you're chasing ambulances. But there's never been a better time to make the point that actually those employers that have got group life assurance, what a great benefit that is, what a great reassurance to their employees that is, and how important that will be. Because in the past, many, many times, I've had employers say to me, we're not going to buy this, Steve, because if Joe 
loses his or her life. Well, we're fine some money. We're paying for Joe's family to make sure it's all okay. And do you know what? They normally mean it. I mean, genuinely they mean it. I've seen many mm. employers over the years do exactly that, find the money out of company funds. But could they do it right now in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of the biggest recession that probably any of us are likely to see? Could they find that extra money if they haven't insured it? And the answer is probably not. So actually, now is a good time to tell people that if you've got group life insurance, it's great. And if you haven't, it's cheap as chips. You can put it in. So those sort of things, I think, are things that employers can look at and doesn't need to cost a lot, but it can make a huge difference to their employees. Excellent. Yeah. And, and I know we've talked about this before, Steve, about how you communicate those benefits to staff. Do you, still, do you think there's a part that can play at the moment and just reminding staff, particularly around perhaps EAP, um, employment assistance programmes that are there? Yeah, I mean, I'd... Yeah, it's always been one of my bugbears anyway. I mean, come away from where we are today, that actually you've got this cracking little benefit, which you know, quite often is free. And I think that almost undermines the value of it to a degree. But actually, EAP will only help anybody, the employee, the employer, the employee's family. It will only help anybody if the employee knows it's there and knows when to use it and how to use it. And that means the employer needs to keep communicating about it all of the time. And, of course, most EAPs have got so many different facets within them. So, you know, it could be debt, it could be health, it could be mental health, whatever, legal aid, all that sort of stuff. But actually, you've just got to bring out a piece at a time. So if you're doing Mental Health Awareness Week, which was a couple of weeks ago, I think, from memory, you could actually mention the fact that you've got support services through the EAP. If you're doing something around money, you can mention you've got debt counselling services through the EAP. It all helps and it gives you an excuse to keep telling people it's there. So most of employee benefits, I've always said you've heard me say this many times, most of it really, if you want to return on investment as your employer and if you want the employees to value it, you've got to keep telling them. And yes, they can do that as, as well now as they can do any other time because you, in fact, better. You can get to more people via a webinar than you can by going around on your hind legs. Yeah, and I think... I think it goes almost back to where we started, which is kind of keep, you know, lockdown and how we adjust to that. And I think it's part of that keeping in touch with, with employees, making sure they're aware of the, the programmes that are there, using it as an opportunity to, to have that contact with them. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Excellent. Well, Steve, I won't take up any more of your valuable time. I know you're a busy man. You've got to go and enjoy the sunshine in Kent. For, for too long at the moment, but I have actually got to finish your webinar for next week. So yeah. Uh, listen, to you cracking to talk to as normal. And um, hopefully, we'll be sharing even a virtual speaking platform in September. Um, and yeah, I'll I'll put some links to Steve in within the within the um, within the podcast as well, so you can you can link in with him. But he's he's worth following. As I say, he is the industry expert. So I'm really grateful for his time. Thanks for that, Steve. Thanks, Matt. Again, mate.